beginning today, the Fed allows $150 billion a month to roll off its balance sheet. Okay, that is the max cap on balance sheet runoff. Uh, and, you know, people keep talking about the Fed raising rates now, but this balance sheet runoff is going to be a big deal also. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Welcome, everyone, to LPL Market Signals podcast. This is John Lynch, Chief Investment Strategist for LPL Financial. And today I'm here with my good friend, Ryan Dietrich, Senior Market Strategist for LPL Research. Hello, Ryan. Hey, John. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Hope you are. I am doing well. I said good morning, but as you know, John, I, I guess I got up at about 3.40 this morning at a CNBC hit at 6. In the same room we're in, about four or five hours ago, I did a CNBC hit at 6 in the morning. So for me, it doesn't quite feel like morning. In we fact, I'm probably... starving. You're probably going to hear my stomach growl because I think it's lunchtime. <laughs> well, 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 we'll, we'll get you out to lunch shortly, and then you can take the rest of the day off. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds like a deal to me. Thanks, boss. You know, I, I, I know you'll need some rest, so I want to make sure you get your beauty sleep. Lord knows you need it. <laughs> That's why I do podcasts. That's right. <laughs> Today's podcast, we're going to discuss uh, uh, the Federal Reserve uh, decision to raise rates for the eighth time last week since 2015 and market reaction to that. We're also going to discuss uh, seasonality and the potential impact on the financial markets in the fourth quarter. And finally, we're going to do our lightning round of Q&A where we attempt to stump one another on a live pod- podcast. Always, always humbling in that environment, don't you think? It is. I mean, you know, that's one joy and fear, I guess, of doing a lot of what we do. There is a lot of live aspects to this. And um, don't tell anybody, John, but sometimes we just kind of make it up on the fly. That's life on the hot seat. That's right. And uh, what was it? In, uh, I guess it was uh, Godfather Part Two when Myron Cohen mm-hmm. said, this is the life we have chosen. So this is the life we have chosen, that's Ryan. It. So get used to it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk Federal Reserve. That's right, John. So last week, the Fed raised rates on Wednesday. It was the eighth hike so far this cycle, beginning back in December of 2015. You know, I think it was probably one of the more well-telegraphed, I think anywhere between 95 to 98% chance of interest rate hikes expected. But as usual, it's kind of when you dig in a little bit about what they kind of, we knew what they said, but what really they mean and for the future. John, what were your major takeaways, I guess, from last week's Fed interest rate decision? You know, I I was kind of befuddled by what all went down. You know, everyone expected it. Right. Uh, I've joked in the past that Fed Chair Powell is uh, not burdened with the expectations of a Ph.D. in economics, so he's more of a market-savvy leader of the Fed, if you will. Uh, But I was surprised with the hike, which was expected, uh, the removal of accommodative relative to the stance of monetary policy, uh, that kind of got markets in a dither. Uh, We saw equity sell-off, treasury yields rally, and the dollar weakened in the 24 hours following that that announcement. And I thought that was really curious because by removing accommodative, I guess that gave the stance that they weren't overly worried about inflation. Uh, It also, I guess, signaled to some people, some investors out there around the globe, that uh, they weren't going to be as aggressive as people initially anticipated. But they were very clear that they wanted to do three hikes in 19 and potentially another one or two in 2020. So it was really kind of curious. And I think that's what's always interesting about the financial markets and what's one of the more humbling aspects of the financial markets, right? What you think it's going to do, it doesn't. And then, uh, uh, but more often than not, over time, it will. Uh, So that was just kind of a curious uh, dynamic with market trading. 
No, absolutely. You know, we all anticipated eventually they're going to take away the word accommodative. Maybe came in a little bit before we expected it. Uh, but at the same time, obviously, it happened. Now, the other thing, I guess I'd say, called more of a, I guess, a highlight maybe of what they said, they upped overall economic forecasts. You know, GDP forecasts for this year and next year, they increased both of them. So, you know, that's what we've been talking about here at LPL Research for a while. The economy looks strong, being led by earnings. Now, the Fed kind of played along and, and uh, agreed with that, it looks like. What do you think from that point of view? Yeah, I think that was very, very encouraging. And uh, another reason why I was surprised the 10-year did what it did in the, in the aftermath, that since uh, uh, this morning and Friday afternoon this morning, it has since moved a little higher. Uh, but, yeah, the fact that the Fed raised their economic forecast, I think, is real positive. He did mention... Uh, he being uh, Jerome Powell, Fed chair, he was concerned about the trade stance. Um, yet I do think it's important to recognize the GDP forecast increase, uh, very, very positive development. Um, but we have to be mindful about with the Federal Reserve also, you know, beginning today, the Fed allows $150 billion a month to roll off its balance sheet. Okay, that is the max cap on balance sheet runoff. Uh, and, you know, people keep talking about the Fed raising rates now, but this balance sheet runoff is going to be a big deal also because, you, A, you no longer have the Fed backstopping investors in U.S. Treasury auctions. B, you have to be mindful of the fact that global investors without that backstop are going to demand higher yield. Uh, but C, what we need to keep in mind is the interest rate differential globally. And while the Federal Reserve has a official mandate of keeping a lid on inflation and ensuring uh, as full an employment situation as possible, the Fed can't lose sight of their impact on A, financial market stability, and, you know, B, uh, currency stability and the impact that that can have. Uh, valuation for global bonds, you know, many investors may think U.S. Treasuries are still expensive, yielding 3%. But when you're looking at the dramatic interest rate differentials, for example, the Japanese boomed or the German boomed, many global investors uh, find value in the 10-year. So, John, some other things that I thought were some good takeaways. We're going to talk about inflation for a minute here. You know, the, the big thing is, is the economy overheating? And Jerome Powell specifically said he does not see signs of the economy overheating, which is obviously a good sign. But he also mentioned one of the reasons he backed it up with was growth in core personal consumption expenditures, that's, of course, the PCE, um, better known as, is still right around the Fed's target rate of 2%. And, okay. you know, there's other parts of inflation that are creeping higher, but that specific one came in last week um, still, you know, right at 2% Fed target. So what do you think? We're not overheating. What do you take on inflation here? Yeah, I'd caution investors not to get overly concerned. Wages are the primary driver, so uh, we'll talk about jobs uh, later on in this podcast. But wage growth really is the determinant as to whether or not uh, inflation is sustainable. And when we see wages growing at 2.8%, 2.9% on a year-over-year -year basis, historically it's 4 4.5% before wages uh, present, if you will, a clear and present danger uh, to the economy. So we're not quite there yet. So there's a bit of a window. But your point on PCE, personal consumption expenditures, is very valid because we need to be mindful of the fact that even with rates at 2% right now, uh, Core personal consumption expenditures are up 2%. Inflate, right. CPI is inflate, uh, about 2%. So if you look at those numbers, inflation-adjusted interest rates, particularly with what the Fed 
the, the real Fed funds rate or inflation Fed funds rate, uh, still essentially zero or slightly negative. So real hard to have recession or runaway inflation problem when the real rates are negative or flat. And then when you look at market signals looking at tips, for example, whether it's five-year or 10-year, not projecting uh, overwhelming inflationary fears thus far priced into the markets. No, that's a great point when you look at the effective Fed's funds rate. Now, I did see some some notes over the weekend that I guess on Friday it just ticked positive for the first time since the financial crisis. But you're right. it's <laughs> For all intents and pur- mm-hmm. purposes, it's at 0%. So, I mean, any last comments on the Fed? I think we've kind of hit it pretty good. It does seem like, though, at this point, maybe we'll wrap it up like this. Looks like December might get another rate hike. What do you think there? Yeah, I think with the 4% print the last couple of quarters, he's going to be hard not hard-pressed not to raise. Uh, but I think... Uh, it's very likely going into uh, uh, 2019, the rhetoric coming from not only Powell, but other Fed leaders and speeches and stuff, job owning the markets, uh, we're likely to hear more about the impact of balance sheet runoff, which very few people are talking about now. And I think that can also be uh, very impactful on their removal of accommodation. Okay. That's good stuff there. So let's go to the next subject here. You mentioned, John, I guess this is the first day that they're going to start rolling off $150 billion per quarter. It's also the first day of October. Happy October. That's right. We we made it to the fourth quarter. So let's talk a little bit about seasonality in the fourth quarter here. I'll say a couple comments, John, then I'll turn it over to you to get your comments also. So we've obviously, the third quarter was very, very unique. I just played with some numbers this morning, and I didn't realize this. The, for the entire third quarter, there was not a single 1% move up or down for the S&P 500. 2017 now, all over again, right? Exactly. And even then, 2017, we had a couple big moves in the third quarter last year. So going back in history, because the third quarter, let's not forget, to remind our listeners, is usually the most volatile quarter out of the four quarters. And there wasn't a single 1% move up or down on the S&P. The last time that happened in the third quarter was 1963. I mean, you, you're talking... My birthday year. Oh, really? Well, have, there right. you go. Thank How you. about that? That's right. Well, when is your birthday, by the way? Uh, we don't need to don't need get into that. Well, you already said the year. I thought, you know, the day wouldn't be too big a deal. Okay. There Late April, and I'm a medium. There you go. There you go. In case you want to get me anything. <laughs> Mine's actually in two weeks, in case you want to get me something. So three weeks, three weeks. But um, I won't. Either, okay. <laughs> either way, um, happy birthday to both of us there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I talking about? I, I just totally got seasonality. Seasonality. You got me all excited about my birthday. Um, so, you know, so we had this third quarter with not a lot of volatility, yet stocks gained, the S&P gained up over 7%. And again, it's kind of this, if you followed the news and the headlines, you probably would have expected a lot more volatility, probably wouldn't expect stocks up that much, yet we had a good third quarter. And historically, the fourth quarter is the best quarter out of the year, as as most of us know. But in a midterm year, John, looking at the S&P since 1950, the fourth quarter of a midterm year is the strongest quarter out of the entire four-year cycle. So the big question, I guess I'm going to send it over to you now. Did we get a lot of those gains in the third quarter? Can we continue to see uh, the bull market do well in the fourth quarter of this midterm year? Yeah, that's always the big question, right? How much? That's of why it was, I gave it to you. How much? Yeah, that's right. It's lonely at the top time, right? It's uh, uh, very interesting that um, the whole sell in May, and again, kudos to you, like we discussed last week, the sell in May uh, you projected would not occur this year, and sure enough, uh, you know, markets markets hung in there in the third quarter, more than hung in there, basically gave an average annual return in the third quarter, which was very impressive. Um, the the 4Q seasonality, you know, it's uh, uh, very tumultuous times politically here in the States and really in the developed world. Uh, so that could weigh on sentiment. 
but we strongly believe going into uh, 2019, there's a, an underappreciation or an underestimation of the impact uh, on the 2017 Tax Cuts and Job Act on 2019 corporate profitability and economic activity. I still think there's another jolt to get us through, particularly when you factor in the AMT refunds that investors will receive and taxpayers will receive in 2019 that they did not receive in 2018. So if small businesses and consumers received approximately $200 billion in 2018, that number is likely to be 275 or $300 billion in 2019. So uh, you have that going for you. You also have history. Uh, you talk about the fourth quarter and the first quarter uh, following midterm election years, but it, um, I don't think we've had a down 12 months following a midterm since World War II. So that's also right. would suggest that there's been, uh, if you factor in uh, the regulatory environment, the fiscal environment, as well as the government spending environment, uh, in spite of the trade fears, uh, it's very likely that we could still have sustained maybe not 4% GDP growth, maybe not 25% profit growth going into next year, but we certainly believe that you could see 2.5%-ish type GDP growth and maybe uh, 10 or 12% profit growth. Now, the headlines will say that profit growth is down That's right. uh, by half, but our retort to that will be that profits are still growing at twice their historical average, and I think that's what investors will need to uh, focus on. Uh, that's exactly right. So let's focus maybe a little more near term on October. So October historically is the most volatile month. When you look at the number of 1% moves up or down, October's got the most ever. And as I just said, we just went a whole quarter without a 1% move. So I think we'd like to remind our investors, <laughs> fourth quarter looks pretty strong from a seasonality point of view. But still, we could be due for some some uh, volatility here. And after this weekend, John, I mean, I, I'm an Ohio boy, as you know. Mm -hmm. My Ohio State Buckeyes won by one point on Saturday night, and my Cincinnati Bengals won by one point on Sunday. So just a ton of screaming and yelling Your in the Dietrich House. kids had to be very excited. Normally, I'm yelling at my kids for other reasons, but this time we were yelling together in joy in the Dietrich House. It was a, it was a fun weekend, but that's my throat. It is a little hoarse, I guess. Uh, so, you know, so October. The last 20 years, actually, October is the strongest month of the year. Um, for the S&P 500. So something to think about. Yes, the S&P is up six months in a row, very strong, but let, let's think about that. And also October again during the midterm year, strongest month of the year during the midterm year. So those are things you know to pay attention to should we get some early downside volatility in October. I think, uh, you know, we all think October 1929, 1987, 2008, the spectacular crashes tend to happen in October for, for various reasons. At the same time, it gets a bad rap. It's my birth month, like I mentioned, so I don't like my birth month getting the bad rap out there. So I like to point out the fact that normally October does um, does just yeah, pretty, pretty 11 well, and 15 were pretty challenging at times too, right? No, they absolutely were. Yeah. So it, it absolutely can, that can happen. You know, maybe I'll wrap it up like this with maybe um, something to consider. So I was playing again with some numbers like I like to do. When the third quarter gains 7%, first off, that's rare. Like we said, third quarter is usually pretty weak. So 7% gain for the S&P in the third quarter, <laughs> that's rare, but we'll take it. Um, you go back to 1950, the fourth quarter actually closed higher 13 out of the last 14 times that happened. So again, these are, you know, this isn't gospel, right? right. But history does rhyme to a degree. So these are things that we like to note that the fourth quarter is really um, shaping up from a purely seasonality point of view to be pretty strong. So, John, I think we did a good job there in the fourth quarter and in October. Let's go to the lightning round now. Italy is back in the news. 
um, you know, with some fears last week on sure. their banking issues and their, I guess, with their GDP, with their, with their debt. What do you think? Is Italy? It's still in the news, obviously. Um, is it the next shoe to drop, and should we should we can still be concerned as investors? Yeah, we warned about Italy in our 2017 mid-year, our 2018 outlook, uh, as well. And you know, Greece was a big deal, uh, only in as much as I believe that uh, European leadership didn't want a precedent or a path for a company for a country to get out, a euro-using country to get out of the euro. And I think that's right. why Greece was important. I think the only reason why Greece was important was because of Spain and Italy. And while Spain is having their own challenges with Catalonia votes and stuff, uh, the Italian situation is probably the most uh, dangerous because it is the third or fourth largest credit market in the world. And with the new government's, new coalition government's announcement late last week uh, that their deficit as a percentage of GDP would approach, if not exceed, the the Maastricht Treaty's warning of 3%. Uh, that got investors kind of riled up uh, late last week. Hopefully cooler heads will prevail. Uh, but anytime you see a headline on Italy, I'd advise all investors to read the full article because it's, it's, it's terribly important given the size of their credit market. So it's something we're watching, which is why we still favor, if you want to categorize top to bottom, right. We favor the U.S., we favor emerging markets, and then Europe, purely because uh, uh, not only the Brexit concerns, but because of the Italian debt situation. Yeah, I like the one thing I like to point out when I hear Italy, Italy's stock market's virtually flat for the past 20 years. So these concerns and overlying things that have kind of held them back are kind of almost par for the course. Eventually, it'll all be priced in, and hopefully some more positives come in, but at the same time, Flat for the past twenty years is still flat for the past twenty years. Now, John, lightning round number two. I guess this one comes to me. What do you What do you have for me? Why don't we discuss earnings? Let's mm-hmm. look at a. Uh, we had twenty five percent profit growth in the first quarter, twenty five percent in the second quarter. Uh, what are you and our good friend Jeff Bookbinder looking for from an EPS standpoint in the third quarter? All in all, John, another good quarter. I think most estimates are somewhere around 22 23% or so year over year in the third quarter, which again, as you just mentioned, would be three consecutive quarters of 20% earnings growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really impressive. And it wasn't that long ago. Really, you think about it, we were in a global earnings recession back in 2014, early 26, 2015, early 2016. It's kind of nice to have these uh, have these nice have these nice uh, growth coming in when it comes to earnings. Yeah, and I think that's really important I, and a distinction I want all of our listeners to pay attention to because uh, while uh, many will suggest it's purely tax cut driven, let's be mindful of the fact that sales are up nine and a half or ten percent. Let's be mindful that earnings before interest and taxes are up a similar amount. Uh, so it's not just the tax cuts. There are There is some mojo here behind economic activity, whereas the, uh, the tax cuts may have unleashed those spirits. Right. Nonetheless, there is still top line. There is uh, free cash flow growth. And I think that also is very important for investors going forward. Right. And you're taking a look, even if you take out the benefits from tax reform, as we did last quarter when we looked, we still saw potentially 18 90% earnings growth without the benefits of tax reform. So clearly some positives. And just wrap it up like this, 11 S&P 500 sectors, we're looking at potentially all 11 sporting year-over-year earnings growth again. You talk about a broad bull market from a tactical point of view. I mentioned this before, advanced decline lines. There's a lot of participation. Let's look at the fundamental side of things. If all 11 of them are exporting positive earnings growth like they did last quarter also, that's pretty broad-based earnings growth as well. So that's... um. 
I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, the depth and breadth of profitability is very important for investors. And as we're looking into 2019, we'll continue to project market gains uh, commensurate with profit growth. We're not really going to be looking for much PE expansion in year 10 of the economic cycle, but we will look at uh, market growth uh, to basically be in line with profit growth and throw a little uh, 2% dividend yield in there in the market. And I think that can be still a pretty good return for 2019. That's right. You talk about 2019. I mean, we're still looking. Most people expect double-digit earnings growth here in the U.S. in 2019. And one thing I like to point out, when we looked into this before, earlier this year when we had the the scary pullback in February, we were looking at double-digit earnings growth here in the U.S. Every single year, going back to 1990, when there's at least a 10% earnings growth on the S&P 500, the S P five hundred's finished positive. Now you get a two thousand eleven in there when you're up just two percent, but still it's positive. So a ten percent earnings growth next year is still something that should support the bulls and any uh, downside volatility that we see in twenty nineteen. Um, eventually is how we're looking for that. Sure, if earnings are still strong. So Great John, point. let's finish it up with uh, one more question here. Mm-hmm. This is for you. We're going to talk about this week. The big event, I guess uh, you'd have to say, this week is the holy grail. That's right. The jobs report comes out on Friday. Um, what should investors be looking at there, and what, what do you think, um, you know, how big of a deal is it for market participants? Yeah, we've been on a trend north of 200,000 jobs per month being created. Um, I, I'd have to think, given uh, the terrible tragedy of Hurricane Florence, they're, they're, that will skew some of the data. So it's conceivable we could see something as low as 175,000 jobs right. uh, this month, but that would be adjusted, uh, you know, for the for the tragedy and all the storm damage, yet as you know, history has shown during periods like that, you typically see a pullback in employment. You typically see a pullback in economic activity. But once the rebuilding process begins, you start to see growth again. So I think any any weakness potentially in this this week's uh, Friday's job report, which would be the September job report, yes. report reported uh, later this week. Um, it could be as low as 175. I think the, sh- the consensus might be 185. But we've been on a path for 200, and I don't want investors to be too terribly disappointed if it's a little lower. The bigger number really is not whether or not it's 3.7% unemployment rate or 3.8% unemployment rate. It's whether wage growth is 2.7, 28 or 2.9%, because I think that's the number investors are going to be focusing on. Remember when we saw the big print of 2.9% in early February for the January jobs report, that's when we had our first 10% correction of the year. That's right. We had a 10% correction in nine days from an all-time high, the fastest 10% correction in the history of the stock market from an all-time high. So that definitely shook us up in early got, February. Got so. everybody's attention. Yeah, remember it? that one day we're, in, we're having a meeting in the room and we just had that flash of red on the screen. That's right. We that's were looking right. at each other like, is this really happening? And now you blink eight, nine months later, and sure enough, we're right at new all-time highs pretty much as we speak. I remember, that's why you follow the fundamentals. I remember we started the meeting, and I had my Bloomberg up, and I turned around and I said, does that say down 800? And then we were talking, does that say down 1,200? Meeting over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's get to work. Well, that's right, John. So let's get, maybe let's get back to work, John. I'm going to wrap it up. I really appreciated today's opportunity, John. I'll let you bring us home. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. 
Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.